You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to another live edition of the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by 90 Min. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simiu. And on today's edition, we're going to be discussing the reports that have come out today with regards to Dominic Soboslai, of course, an Arsenal transfer target. We're led to believe we're going to be discussing the reports concerning his release clause, how Arsenal could potentially trigger that, what they would need to do, how it all works, um, as reported by David Ornstein of The Athletic. And we're going to be continuing with our reaction to the North London derby. It's always easier to look at it the next day with a bit of a calm ahead and uh, to try and make sense of it all. And we're going to be focusing in particular on Arsenal's defensive fragilities, the ones that were so clear and obvious uh, yesterday in the game between Arsenal and Spurs. Uh, big hello to everybody who's joining us right now in the live chat. If you haven't already, make sure you hit the like button, subscribe to the channel if you're new. And don't forget that if you prefer, this podcast is also available in audio only format on all major podcast stores. So you can get it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, um, wherever you want it. You you name it, it's there. Um, so you can check the podcast out on the various other platforms too. Right, uh, let's begin by discussing uh, David Ornstein's report today or yesterday um, with regards to Dominic Zobosly. He did um, come out and, and give some further details on, on the player's release clause. Of course, a player Arsenal accredited with a strong interest in, but with the North London derby taking place, that was, uh, of course, secondary news. But we've got time to look at it now, so we're going to do exactly that. So for those of you who don't know um, anything about Dominic Zobosly, he is a Hungarian left midfielder who currently plays his football for RB Leipzig in the Austrian Bundesliga. According to transfermarket.co.uk, it's currently valued at around about £22.5 million, which fits in nicely with the reported release clause, which is €25 million. Euros. Uh, he's made 10 appearances in the Austrian Bundesliga so far this season, scoring 10 goals. Uh, sorry, scoring four goals in his 10 appearances and providing his teammates with six assists. Um, and this guy is just 20 years old. He's also featured heavily in the UEFA Champions League this season. He's made five appearances in the group stage to date and he's chipped in with two goals. So proven already that he can perform to a very good level um, in the UEFA Champions League. With a side that, let's be honest, they play some exciting, some attractive football, but they're not a very fancied side in the UEFA Champions League. They're not one of the traditional big boys, uh, which in my book makes that even more impressive. In terms of uh, his characteristics, well, according, we're going by what who scored com are saying, um, and they talk about the fact that he's a good dribbler, uh, very creative, etc., etc. Chips in with goals, all the usual stuff that you'd expect from a player uh, who plays in that kind of position. Also very capable of playing from a central attacking midfield position as well is Dominic Zobersly, and he scored the vital goal for Hungary that saw them uh, make it through to the upcoming European Championship. So he's a much sought after player. And David Ornstein speaks about that in his um, in his post. He talks about the fact that 
Arsenal are interested, Real Madrid are interested, Atletico Madrid are interested, AC Milan are interested, and apparently that lot down the road, Tottenham Hotspur, are said to be in the mix for Dominic Zoboslite as well, which is obviously not great news, um, but I'm confident he'd rather play for a side that actually wins things uh, than go there. Park the bus every week, and at the end of the season, they're going to end up empty handed. I'm not bitter at all. Um, <laughs> so, uh, David Ornstein revealed some details uh, with regards to his current Salzburg contract. There's been a lot made of the 25 million euro release clause, um, which is, as David Ornstein puts it, enticingly low. But there are some details in that contract uh, that make it a little bit less black and white or straightforward as it may seem at first glance. So, that that Salzburg contract, which expires in 2022, has this 25 million euro release clause. Uh, but the fee cannot, according to David Ornstein, be paid in installments. Now, we've seen a lot of reports over the last couple of weeks that Arsenal may be looking to do some business um, with regards to Dominic, Dominic Sobersly, and that might include them financing the deal over a period of time. Well, according to David Ornstein's report, that is not the case. The The fee cannot be financed um in installments, contrary to what the public opinion is. He says it's understood to require full payment in one go and within two weeks of the clause being triggered. So the minute you notify that you are triggering that clause, you've got two weeks to pay up to get the deal done. Otherwise, the deal collapses. There is then thought to be a 20% sell-on mechanism, which unusually applies to the entire fee of a future transfer and not just the profit. So, for example, as David Ornstein puts it, if he arrives for 25 million euros and leaves for 100 million, Salzburg get 20% of the 100 million rather than 20% of the 75 million difference, if that makes sense. Um, he goes on to say that that might not be ideal for a lot of Zobersly's admirers. Uh, but the fact is that this is a player who is really making a name and a reputation for himself throughout European football at the moment. And he's available for as little as 25 million euros. So you can understand why some people um, may be tempted in that, into that, um, despite kind of the sell-on fees and, and all the various other bits and pieces that are in the contract. Right. That's the latest uh, on Dominic Zobersly. I'm just going to have a look at what some of you guys are saying in the comments with regards to the player as well. Um, get your questions in the live chat. We'll come to them a little bit later on in the in the episode. And don't worry. Um, I know some of you are still in need of some therapy after yesterday. We are going to be talking North London Derby just after I go to you guys' comments. So let's have a look what you are saying with regards uh, to this news. Uh, big hello and good evening to everybody saying good evening. How you doing? Um, Eduardo says, the question is, where can we find our Bruno Fernandes or De Bruyne? I don't think Zobosly is that guy, to be honest. Um, it, look, it's hard to say, isn't it? Because Dominic Zobosly obviously is not as far down his progression line as somebody like Bruno Fernandes or Kevin De Bruyne, who we know are top, top players and they've had huge uh, transformative, I would say, impacts on the sides that they currently represent since coming in. Kevin De Bruyne has been doing it for years and years and years in the Premier League. And of course, Bruno Fernandes has come in and really hit the ground running at Manchester United and shown what an excellent player he was. If ever there was a game to evidence how important Bruno Fernandes is to Manchester United, that game on Saturday against West Ham where they come back um, 
after him and Marcus Rashford were introduced at halftime was the perfect case study. Um, so, yeah, of course, Arsenal are looking for that kind of talisman, that kind of um, creative force, one that is so strong that more often than not, he'll get you out of trouble, get you out of situations, get you out of holes. There's nothing to say that Dominic Zobislav can't be that in the future. As I said, he's very highly rated on the continent, someone who's shown great signs of promise. But I totally accept where you're coming from when you say you have reservations about it because, he, as I said, he's done it in the Austrian Bundesliga at the moment. Yes, he's performed in the Champions League, but the level between the Austrian Bundesliga and the Premier League is 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 huge in terms of the gap of quality. So we'll have to see, um, you know, if if that makes it. Obviously, any transfer has an element of risk to it. This one may be more than others, but then you can outweigh that with the fact that the fee is not that much. And when you look at the fact that we've spent around about that amount of money on William Saliba, who doesn't even get in the squad, isn't part of the, the setup even, then you, you, you do have, you do wonder um, why, if they don't think he's a good player, they'd be unwilling to to, to pay that sort of money. Um, Jack Burgess says, Harry, let's be real. Why would Zobosly join us when teams like Real are in for him? Yeah, um, you know, you're absolutely right. But is... Can the law of the Premier League be a factor? Can the fact that I, I know we're talking about Real Madrid and, and they can law anybody, but the Premier League is a, is something that a lot of players want to play in at one point or another. Um, will he be guaranteed enough football at Real Madrid? I don't know. That could play a part as well. So there are lots of things to factor in here. Uh, let's see what else we've got here. Alex McCarthy says, Evening Harry, Pepe's record was far superior to Zobosly's. Stats mean nothing when you bring in a player and then we don't play to that player's strengths. Fantastic point. Uh, it's a really good point. And as I, I'm sharing with you guys the stats, but always, of course, you've got to take them with a pinch of salt. They don't mean uh, they don't mean everything. Uh, Graham says, Harry, I can't get excited about nonsense like this. Arteta won't be the manager by the time the window comes around at this rate. Um, I can see you're all itching to get onto the North London derby. I tried to put it off for as long as possible. But Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's talk about the North London derby. And I'm going to uh, review in particular the two goals that Arsenal conceded. I think we, we've we spoken about it so much in the last few weeks about how we're toothless up front, where the issues are, the fact that we're not playing enough vertical passes, the, the fact that the movement isn't there, that we're not moving the ball with enough zip, with enough pace, with enough speed, that we're not moving defences. We're not pulling people out of position. I think we can all agree on that. And, and we don't always agree, do we, as Arsenal fans? But on that, I think we're all singing from the same page. So I wanted to focus on the goals that we conceded yesterday because there are a lot of issues in both of those goals. Equally, I think that some of the players that have been um, pointed at I'm not saying that they're they're faultless in the goals, but I think that there's been a lot made about certain players' involvement, and I feel like the agenda thing is is coming out again and is, is it, and is in full force. So we're gonna we're gonna talk about the goals, and we're gonna start off, of course, with the first one, the, the Son Hyung Min goal. Um, and I just want to show you guys this screenshot for those of you watching on YouTube. If you're listening via the audio, don't worry, I'm going to explain it. You can see the situation in which Hyun Son received the ball on the left wing. You can see uh, three Arsenal players back in Rob Holding, Gabriel, Kieran Tierney's chasing back with Steven Bergvine. Then you've got a next line of Arsenal players, which includes Hector Bellerin, Thomas Partey, who we now know was unfit, and Granit Xhaka chasing back. Now, 
I've seen a lot of criticism towards Hector Bellerin and I, I, I slated the guy on, on the podcast last night, the post-match reaction immediately after the game, because I felt like his performance was just, you know, sloppy in so many ways. You know, you've got the issue with the foul throws. I'm not suggesting for a minute that foul throws are why we're not winning football matches at the moment, but it just shows you, doesn't it, the kind of casual attitude that this Arsenal side have at the moment. And it's no wonder we're conceding goals like this. Hector Bellerin is often taking up these sort of inverted positions under Mikel Arteta. And you can see that in this screenshot. You can see the fact that he's running back and having to cover the position of Rob Holding because he's been caught out shows you that he was already too narrow. Now, that narrowness and that, you know, freedom to get forward, that is an instruction from Mikel Arteta. Let's make no mistake about that. Do I agree with it? No. Do I think it's the right way for your fullbacks to play? No, I don't. But we see Manchester City do it for years and years and years. It's obviously something, rightly or wrongly, that Mikel was picked up from his time at City, from his time under Pep Guardiola. And for me, it it doesn't work. And you, you can see that in this screenshot. So you see Son pick up the ball there. And at this point, when you're looking at the screenshot, as I said, three players back, another three arriving. Willian is even chasing Reguillon. Um... You can see that Arsenal actually are not in that bad of a position. We've worked a lot since Mikel came in about dealing with transitions. We've worked a lot about making ourselves less vulnerable. And on the face of it, at this point, it doesn't look that bad. But as we move on, as the situation progresses, you can see what's happened here. Hector Bellerin gets back into that position in between Holding and Gabriel, as you can see from the screenshot. Thomas Partey is now arriving into the picture, as is Granit Xhaka. Willian has completely lost uh, the run of Reguillon. Unfortunately, Reguillon is that quick. And and Willian at 32 years old, whatever he is, he just isn't going to keep up with him. He just hasn't got the legs. But Reguillon's run here is what makes this... um, you know, is what makes this goal for Tottenham Hotspur. It's what makes the opportunity for Son to step inside because Holding has already come to confront Son. I've seen loads of people saying that actually um, Holding should have gone and engaged him earlier, that he should have committed himself. With the lack of pace that Rob Holding has and the quickness of feet that somebody like Hume Min Son possesses, if Rob Holding goes and engages and commits himself, Son skips past him. I think Holding has done the right thing. And I think Holding has been hung out to dry here because for me, there's not a lot more that he can do. You see where Son is here. And from this kind of distance, you don't expect him to score. I don't care what anybody says. People will say he's a world-class player. He's a top-level footballer and you should never give these players that kind of space. But for me, I mean you do not expect a goal to come off the back of this. It looks, as I said at this point, as though Arsenal have actually got back into the right positions. The criticism I would have here for Hector Bellerin is that he's got to be aware of the fact that Son is looking to step inside. He's got to be aware of that. Now, the problem is the run of Reguillon puts everybody in two minds because now, you know, if if Bellerin checks his run, doesn't continue running into that space and Son slips Reguillon in, then he's completely through. But he's he's kind of caught in two minds here and I'm not defending the guy. I'm not saying it's good defending. It's not by any stretch of the imagination. So please don't take it that way and get onto me in the comments. But what I'm saying is the run of Reguillon causes that uncertainty. It puts Bellerin in a position where he either 
covers him behind Rob Holding in the in the instance that maybe Regillon gets slipped in, or he protects that inside channel. For me personally, if I was in charge of the side, if I was the manager, I'd always like to see my players protect the inside channel. Nobody's going to score from left of your penalty area. It's going to have to be some effort from there. But to let people step inside, and that's where the danger can be done, I think is criminal. And you see it here. You see Bellerin continue, doesn't check the run. Son slips inside. And from there on, you know, it was a wonderful finish from Son. Let's not take anything away from the player as much as I can't stand him. Um, you know, let's not take anything away from the quality of the strike. And I've heard people as well, you know, complaining about Burn Leno's position. There's absolutely nothing wrong with Burn Leno's position here. And I'm sorry if you disagree, but I really can't see what is wrong with Burn Leno's position here. If he stands a couple of steps to his right, you'd say that he's left the left side or his left side of the goal too open. And that would be a problem. But he's as central as you can be in that situation. So I take absolutely no issue with Burn Leno's positioning, none at all. And then you see the wonder strike from Son. And you can see from that image how far he set it outside of the goal and the bend that's on that to then beat Burn Leno. Is there an argument that maybe Burn Leno should move his feet quicker and then make the dive? Should he take one more step to his left and then make the dive? That is a criticism or a, a, a you know a, an observation I'm willing to take on board. But for those of you who have sat there and said that he's he's got his positioning completely wrong from the offset. I think you're being harsh. And I've been one of Bern Leno's biggest critics um, because I didn't think, um, or I, I don't think he's been that good uh, at times. I think he's made countless mistakes and I think he's, he causes a, a, a nervousness to the defense. So yeah, um, you know, this is not me, you know, just, have taken an opportunity to have to have a go at Bern Leno. Fair is fair. And I don't think he was at fault yesterday for that goal. Let's move on to the second goal. And um, this is the one that really irritated me um, because there was no moment of individual brilliance in this. There was no moment of magic. There was no magical derby moment that, that made the difference. This was just pure naivety from Arsenal. Now, of course, being one goal down, there is an onus on you to go out and attack. There is an onus on you to go out and and try uh, and get yourself back into the back into the game. But it, it was a little bit too early to be doing that for me. It was too early to be pressing panic buttons. It was too early to be committing such heavy numbers forward. And um, you can see from this screenshot here when Arsenal lose the ball. So we know that Arsenal have, have, have built an attack down the right hand side. The ball's been cut back to Pierre Emerick Aubameyang. It's a terrible pass. It is a terrible pass. Now, in an ideal world, I'd like to see Habamiang take out Serge Aurier there. Don't let him break. You know, you're the captain. You can see, you can know, you can sense, you should be able to understand that your team are completely out of shape here and completely vulnerable to a counter-attack. He doesn't do that. It's a half-hearted attempt from Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang to get the ball there. And that's what really, really disappointed me about that first part of the transition here and how Tottenham won the ball back. You can also see um, that Bukayo Saka's committed to the edge of the box. You can see Willian on the corner of the box on the right. Um, you can see that Granit Xhaka's pushed forward. You can see Kieran Tierney's pushed forward as well. And Lacazette, of course, playing in that hole yesterday. He's uh, he's sort of in and around the edge of the penalty area too. Now, if I move this on one more frame, um, and you'll see when Spurs play the ball into Lo Celso. Look at this overload that Tottenham have on the left-hand side. They've got Bergvine, Son and Kane 
against Holding and Gabriel. And Gabriel, to be fair, is not even in this duel because he's miles away from it. It's not any fault of his own. He's in his own position. He's doing his job. Thomas Partey is down on the side of the pitch complaining that he's not fit, complaining that he's injured, complaining that he needs to come off the pitch. Now, Thomas, mate, go down in the middle of the pitch. Would Diego Simeone have accepted Thomas Partey doing what he did yesterday, walking off the side of the pitch at such a crucial moment? Absolutely not. He's one of the biggest shithouses in football, and there's no way he would have accepted that. But when the ball gets to Lo Celso, that's when the trouble begins. And from there on, Arsenal fighting a losing battle, and this goal is inevitable. You can see around the referee, and you see Martin Atkinson in the picture, and you can see that there are four Arsenal players around Serge Aurier. Four Arsenal players, Kieran Tierney, Bukayo Saka, Alexander Lacazette and Granit Xhaka have all gone to press Serge Aurier as he brought that ball out of the Tottenham defence. Four players. You cannot simply commit four players to pressing one player if you're not going to get the ball. If you commit to that level, you have to cut out the pass. You have to stop it at all costs. You have to foul the guy. You have to do something. You cannot commit four bodies in that situation and not get the ball. The over-exuberance in the press, the over-enthusiasm you know, to try and press there is a problem. You know, Pressing has to be structured. Pressing has to be done in a way in which you know, you, you're effective, but you also don't leave gaping holes. And, and Arsenal have left gaping holes here. Even if Thomas Partey is on the pitch here and he's standing on the halfway line as part of a free alongside holding and Gabriel, we're still in a terrible situation. Let's make no mistake about that. I was frustrated by Partey's actions. I still think he was wrong. But regardless of that, Tottenham Hotspur break in here. They've got three players, on or even if it's three, Three on three, let's say. Let's say Thomas Partey's in the mix. You've still got Lo Celso and Sissoko bursting forward, which makes it a five on to three. And there's not an Arsenal body in sight. You cannot, I say it before and I'll say it again, you cannot put that many bodies forward and not win the ball. And it's so naive and stupid to be doing that if you're Mikel Arteta. That is his instruction. He wanted them to play on the front foot. He wanted them to be aggressive. You could tell it in his post-match. We've co- uh, pre-match, sorry. We've come here to win. We've come here to win. You know, aside from the mistake that Thomas Partey uh, shouldn't have played because he was unfit, every single one of us, if we thought he was fit enough, wanted him in the team. Let's not deny that now. Let's not deny that after the fact. But, you know, going back to this this transition, it's just schoolboy stuff. It really, really is. And then we move it on one more and you can see that situation developing. Spurs' fourth man gets forward. Thomas Partey's been pushed back onto the pitch. He's limping back. Granit Xhaka hasn't got the pace to get back. Neither has Alexander Lacazette. Again, poor old Rob Holding, who I'm not a massive fan of, by the way. But I'm still defending him here because fair is fair. What on earth is Rob Holding supposed to do in this situation? He commits to Son. Kane and Lacelso have a field day. You know, he, he commits to Kane. Son can be slipped in. He commits to Lacelso. Then there's two players free on this side. It's, Rob Holding is just completely isolated here. And from there on, Tottenham work it well. They get Kane into a position which from, 
you know, that position you expect Harry Kane to score because he does it so often and he does it expertly. And that was that. Tottenham Hotspur ripping us to pieces. But that comes from us being naive. That comes from us falling into the trap. And that was what was the most disappointing thing. And even now, like almost 24 hours on from the event, that's what still upsets me the most. It's not that we played that badly because we didn't. Um, you know, we've played worse and won games this season. It's not that. It's the nature of the goals. It's the naivety we showed in certain situations. It's the the frailties that continue to haunt us. And I just can't get my head around why somebody who won an FA Cup being so pragmatic, so disciplined, so organised and focused on those details, the details he keeps talking about, has now flipped that approach and felt that he could go to Spurs and take the game to them and wouldn't get picked off. We've seen Jose Mourinho do this to teams time and time again over the years. And I just think when you fall for it, it's just plain stupid, plain daft and plain naive. And people have been coming out after calling it a Jose masterclass. It's absolutely not that. It's not a Jose masterclass. They would have sat back and defended all game if we didn't take the game to the, uh, if we had done the same, if we had sat off and you would have seen a boring stalemate play out. They just took the opportunities that came their way. They sniffed the the spaces when Arsenal overcommitted. And I just wanted to see Arsenal go there and not overcommit. I, I, you know, why would you overcommit? If, if Mikel Arteta had got a point here, if Mikel Arteta had got a point here, then he'd be coming away from this game where people will be saying, you know what? Yeah. You know, we've been on a bad run. We steadied the ship and we got a respectable point against the side that are leading the Premier League table at the moment. Graham says, uh, tactics, Harry, tactics. Did you see Tottenham get that way at any time? As I said, it was a Wenger goal. What is Arteta thinking? It's a strong argument that he's out of his depth. It is a strong argument. It absolutely is. And with each passing week where Arsenal don't get the results that they need and there are glaring issues within this side, People are well within their rights to turn on Mikel Arteta or to at least think that he's not the right man for the job. I'm not 100% at that point yet, but I'd be lying if I said I wasn't having doubts. You know, I also acknowledge how big this job is um, and how many other issues we have as a football club and as a football team that need rectifying before we can move forward. But it's absolutely fair enough to... um, to, to say that you're, you're not sure he's the right man. Uh, the real captain says uh, too far off his line with regards to Berlino's position. Now, I disagree, mate. Um, I think he's got to be that far off the line because if a ball is played in behind, you expect Berlino to provide another level of cover, to be a sweeper keeper, which is what we see modern good day goalkeepers being tasked to do time and time again. It's just a wonderful strike from Son. The errors were made in the lead up to that, in my opinion. As I've explained, I, I can't, blame Bern Leno and, and I've been quick to burn Leno uh, to blame Bern Leno in other situations this season but that that is not one uh, that I can pick on him for Gino says hi bro you got it spot on thank you very much uh, Nana says Oba has been lackluster can't disagree with that uh, John says I'm really sad about the on guys at my club this is no coincidence we've slowly dug ourselves into a hole that's now too deep the bad decisions with he- us hefty sums to fix the sooner the better yeah i think you're right mate i think you're absolutely right big hello to andy hey dear mate welcome uh to the program uh how you doing sir what else have we got there um l batch Ober was poor but how is he meant to know the midfield is completely out of position um 
it's fair. It's probably a fair comment. I just think that you got to be a bit more streetwise. And by being streetwise, you don't let people counterattack. You know, you, you there are so many strikes. Would you have let, would you have seen Diego Costa allow the defender to carry the ball out of the defence like that? Knowing, and, and Oba would know that, that the players have committed forward because he's seen the attack unfold. He's, he's watched the build-up. Would you see Diego Costa allow Serge Aurier to get away the way he did? No. Would you see Luis Suarez allow it? No. Because these are tenacious footballers who, you know, who live and breathe on, on on that. You know, they want it so badly, their desire, their passion. They're willing to foul. They're willing to commit um, challenges like that to stop counterattacks forming. I even I would even say a fit Gabriel Martinelli makes a challenge there because it's just that hunger that Aubameyang seems to have lost in in recent weeks is completely it's completely disappeared and I don't know why let's see uh what else um you guys are saying in the chat um Fergus says oh Harry not again tonight calling out Arteta Jose would have sat back all day did it against the Chavs I'm why is it so unfair, Fergus, for people to ask questions about Mikel Arteta's management? I said exactly that. Arsenal should have sat back and Tottenham would have sat back and we come away from White Hart Lane with a point in the bag instead of another defeat, our sixth defeat in 11 Premier League games. It's simply not acceptable. The results are bad. The performances are bad. It's terrible. It's all terrible. How you can or anyone can sit there and not ask any questions about Mikel Arteta at this point is beyond me do I want him to succeed of course I do do I want him sacked no but it's an absolutely valid point of view to have if you are one of those people that is now starting to ask questions you know we're 11 games into the season and there's been zero sign of improvement in fact it looks like we've regressed so you can understand why people are upset and I don't think it's wrong for people to be asking those questions. There's a way of going about it. There's a way of doing it. There's a way of doing it. There's a way of being respectful about it. But there's nothing wrong with asking those questions. Uh, Dalen says, uh, Harry, do you think it's an accumulation of bad ro- results rather than yesterday? Yeah, of course. Um, you know, the fact that we're on this bad run and the fact that our league position is so poor obviously amplifies, you know, what what. Because, yeah, because we, we, we've been so poor, you know, then the microscope comes on every bad performance and you can't forgive them as easily because the frustrations that we're feeling now as Arsenal fans have been building up, you know, for for weeks now. It's not, you know, had we lost yesterday's game in isolation, you come away from that and you say, we got done on the break twice, played well, but couldn't break them down, had a lot of the ball, just wasn't to be. But, you know, it's an it's an accumulation of Arsenal being blunt in attack for for a period of time. It's it's because Arsenal, despite losing that attacking prowess, have now regressed defensively as well. Which was the one thing that you could always say about Mikel Arteta's team. Whenever people criticise this football at the beginning, whenever people are cast doubts around whether he was the right man in charge, the one thing I used to always say was one thing you cannot deny about Mikel Arteta is that he has improved us defensively. But that has gone. It's gone by the wayside. And that's why people feel frustrated. That's why people are getting wound up. And with every bad result, that, of course, amplifies more. 
Aaron Paul, how you doing, mate? BBC Radio 5 Live's Aaron Paul, great friend as well. How you doing, mate? He says, just out of interest, why is it that Arsenal are below United in the league, yet Oli seems to be getting bashed in the press anytime we drop points? Love the show. Aaron's, of course, a Man United supporter. You, you're right, mate. Oli gets a gets a hard time of it. And there is this kind of... I, I think Oli's character doesn't help him. You know, Mikel Arteta, for all you, you can sort of criticise him for in the last few months... He stands in front of a camera and he talks like a proper manager. He seems like a proper manager. He seems like someone wiser beyond his years, someone who's got more experience than he actually has. That's the vibe he gives off. Ollie gives off that kind of like, yeah, you know, I'm I'm really laid back. I'm really casual. And, you know, the only time I've ever seen a prickly Ollie Gunnar Solskjaer after a Man United game was when he was complaining about um, the turnaround time between their Champions League and Premier League games. So, I feel like Ollie's character comes across at times a little bit weak and that's why he's seen as a bit of an easy target from the press. Just my opinion. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, he, he gets a lot more stick than he deserves when you look at the job and you block out all the outside noises. Totally agree. Uh, Tim says, surely it's worth replacing the poor performance with the youngest players who've played well in the Europa. They have more desire to perform and pr- prove themselves. AZ Metlenars also deserves a chance. Maitland-Niles does deserve a chance. I agree with you. You could argue that some of the others as well, Reese Nelson, um, you know, and those kind of guys deserve more playing time too because they're performing in the Europa League and, and the guys that are playing in their place in the Premier League right now are just not doing it. The issue here is that, you know, it, it's that whether Arteta is willing to rely on kids and he clearly isn't at this moment in time. The flip side is as well that you look at somebody like Joe Willock, who's been brilliant, um, you know, it's been brilliant in the Europa League, but came into a couple of Premier League games and didn't really do it. So it's um, it's a it's a hard one, isn't it? But I think there'll come a point where Mikel will have no choice but to start dropping people because he can't persist with these guys. They're simply not doing it. Simply not doing it. Um, Russ Morgan says it's not just the club. The players we buy seem to regress and quickly. Look at William. Great point. Fantastic point. Jay Bowling is very much on the same page um, as some of the others about, you know, some of the youngsters being given opportunities. There's nothing to lose. It's a fair point. Uh, let's see what else we've got. Jack the Ripper says, Harry, will Arsenal ever get back to the heights of the 90s in the beginning of the 2000s? Or is this it? I think in football, there are cycles. Um, and uh, yeah, look. Arsenal are a big enough club to eventually get back to the very top of the game, but <laughs> feels like a long way off at the moment. And, you know, a lot of the time as Arsenal fans, we're guilty of judging our teams against the Invincibles. You know, that was a season of of perfection. And you can't live up to that. You know, no matter how good the side is, it's very even Liverpool last season, who were sensational, couldn't go the season unbeaten. Man City the season before, they couldn't go this season unbeaten either. So I guess the point I'm trying to make is that we need to stop judging ourselves against that perfection. It, it needs to be small steps. Football happens in cycles. Now we need to get back in the Champions League. And then when we do that, we can look ahead to, to trying to replicate some of the success in the 90s and the 2000s. Unfortunately, though, the game has changed. The game has, has, has changed dramatically. The landscape has changed. It used to be Arsenal and Man United. Now Liverpool um, are up there. You know, Liverpool, of course, historically a huge club, but Liverpool have kind of risen to prominence once again. 
Chelsea have got in, immense spending power, which has seen them close the gap on sides. Tottenham have developed. Manchester City, we know about their spending power. Man United are Man United. So, you know, even teams like Everton are making significant investments. So the landscape's changed. I'm not sure that you're ever going to see two teams dominate the Premier League like you saw, um, you know, like you saw Arsenal and Man United. And I'm talking about over a sustained period of like 10 years. You know, Liverpool and Man City have dominated in the last couple of seasons, but that's what, three seasons, two seasons? I'm talking about a, a decade-long period, like you saw with Arsenal and Man United, where the two are literally head and shoulders above everybody else. Uh, Aaron says, what do Arsenal need to do to progress? They spent on Pepe, on the contracts of Oba and William. I just don't get this Arsenal squad. It feels disjointed to an extent. Yeah, um, absolutely right. Uh, it, it, it is... Um, it is disjointed. It's lopsided. It's um, it, it lacks cohesion. Um, it lacks creativity. There are so many things you can say about this current squad. I, look, I, I'm not going to sit here and say I regret the fact that we gave Ober the contract. Willian hasn't really worked out up until now. But Ober's proven throughout his career that given the opportunities, when the situations are created, he will score goals. And those situations are not being created at the moment. Those opportunities are not coming. His confidence is down as a result of him having a really, um, you know, difficult season up until this point. So uh, look, it's a combination of things. But the squad is um, the squad is not um, it is not where it needs to be. I think we all agree with that. But it's going to take a number of transfer windows to to get to that point. That's the issue. And we've, uh, as much as we get frustrated and wound up by what's currently going on, we do have to exercise a bit of patience here as well. Uh, Fergus has just had an email from ITV London tonight asking me to come back. Seem to spend most of my evenings watching Harry. <laughs> Thank you very much, mate, for your continued support. It is very much appreciated. Right. That brings me to the end of this live edition of the podcast. It was only supposed to be half an hour long, but of course we get carried away talking about Arsenal. I was going to say the mighty Arsenal, but it doesn't feel like it's the case at the moment. Um, hope you enjoyed the analysis of the goals. Hope you enjoyed the update on Dominic Zobersly's situation. And uh, I look forward to chatting to you all again uh, very, very soon. Until then, take care. Stay safe. Cheers. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.